You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hi everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us again this week. A lot going on, Judicial Watch in the middle of it. We have new breaking news on a really outrageous, uh, an outrageous move by the Justice Department under Barack Obama to give a key Clinton witness uh, immunity. You won't believe it. Uh, you have continued judicial harassment of President Trump. I'll talk about this uh, terrible a census decision out of the Supreme Court. Also, Judicial Watch is in the middle of another lawsuit, this time over Andrew McCabe, the corrupted uh, former number two at the FBI. Uh, whether he got a sweetheart deal from the FBI in order to create his anti-Trump book. So we've got a lawsuit on that. So a lot to talk to you. Uh, first up is the breaking news uh, uncovered only because of Judicial Watch's litigation uh, that Heather Samuelson, Hillary Clinton's attorney, received immunity from the Justice Department. Who was Heather Samuelson? She is the lawyer who deleted the emails for Hillary Clinton on her behalf. So you've heard those 33,000 emails that were deleted. Those were the State Department records that Hillary Clinton took improperly from the State Department when she left. When she called out on it, she had Heather Samuelson go through the records and supposedly delete the personal records. So Heather Samuelson, the Clinton lawyer who deleted her records, was given immunity by the Justice Department in 2016. Specifically, she was given production immunity, meaning that when she gave documents to the Justice Department that uh, she would be immune from prosecution for anything related to that production, it seems. Now, how did we find this out? Thanks, once again, Judicial Watch discovery, to Judicial Watch's discovery in the Clinton email issue. Specifically, we had a lawsuit over the Benghazi issue. The Clinton emails were discovered as a part of this lawsuit. A federal court judge, Royce Lamberth, in examining uh, what went on, found that the Justice Department and the State Department were uh, really egregious in their efforts uh, to game the system here. And he wants to know whether Hillary Clinton avoided, uh, used this email system to avoid the disclosures of the Freedom of Information Act. He wants to know if the, uh, the courts were, uh, whether specifically his court was uh, Trying was uh, subject to being gamed by the State Department and the Justice Department in terms of telling him and the uh, Judicial Watch uh, that there were no Clinton emails or suggesting there were no other documents when in fact they knew about the Clinton emails in order to shut the case down. And then of course he wants to know if there are other emails that should be reviewed pursuant uh, to FOIA that are out there of Hillary Clinton's. Now as part of that uh, discovery effort, we were authorized to talk to nearly a dozen witnesses. And Judge Lambert, in finding, um, giving us the ability to take this discovery, by the way, discovery given to us over the objections of the Justice Department and the FBI, not during Obama, but during the Trump administration, deep state still protecting uh, the Hillary Clinton gang. Uh, Judge Lambert found that uh, Hillary Clinton's misuse of the system, her email system, was one of the gravest modern offenses to government transparency. One of the gravest modern offenses to government transparency. So he granted our request to depose, among others, Heather uh, Samuelson. As I said, Heather Samuelson was a private lawyer at the time these emails were deleted. 
Now, we do know that some of the emails that were deleted, because Judicial Watch has received the emails that the FBI was able to recover or otherwise find of that group that Heather Samuelson deleted, included government records, included classified records. So when Hillary Clinton told you, well, those were personal emails, they were about yoga and weddings, that's not true. First of all, it wasn't technically true because all the records technically were State Department records. They weren't, quote, personal. They weren't hers to have. But secondly, literally it wasn't true because we were given government records from that group of emails that were uh, recovered from the material that Heather Samuelson deleted for Hillary Clinton. So this is news. We didn't know that Samuelson received immunity. Now, we've heard about all of this immunity that was handed out like candy uh, uh, as a result of this sham investigation by James, James Comey's FBI and Loretta Lynch's Justice Department. So the Obama administration had zero interest in prosecuting Hillary Clinton, it's now evident. And so they were giving out immunity after immunity agreement. And in the case of Heather Samuelson, the person who deleted these emails, is a, the, destruction of, the destruction of those emails is a, is a significant legal event. Some have alleged there were subpoenas that were obstructed as a result of that and other things obstructed. And she admits in the testimony, I was provided limited production immunity by the Department of Justice. And when was that? My recollection, it was June 2016. Right in the middle of the campaign, they gave the person who deleted emails immunity. The corrupt Justice Department did. And she also contradicted what she told the FBI because she told the FBI and it's interesting, Samuelson worked at the State Department with Hillary Clinton. So she wasn't just some outside lawyer who came in later to help her out on this email issue. She was at the State Department. She was one of the Hillary Clinton insiders. Samuelson testified, contrary to what she told the FBI, that she found out about the Clinton email system while she worked at the State Department. Ms. Samuelson, when did you first become aware that Secretary Clinton used the email address hdr22clintonemail.com while she was at the State Department? I believe I became aware when either she emailed me on personal matters such as wishing me happy birthday or when I infrequently would receive emails forwarded to me from others at the department that her, had, her, had that email address listed elsewhere in a document. Okay, and who were the State Department officials? I recall Cheryl Mills. But it could have been others. Now, Cheryl Mills was Hillary Clinton's top counselor at the State Department, close to Hillary Clinton, who the judge also excoriated for her loathsome behavior in another Clinton email scandal. And Judge Lambert said he couldn't believe the Justice Department gave her immunity too because of her other misconduct the judge found. So she recognizes Samuelson did, the lawyer who deleted the emails. She admitted to us in testimony that she knew about Clinton's email usage at the State Department. But this is what she told the FBI, according to a notation 
And a 302 report of Samuelson's interview with FBI agents. We've got the record. Samuelson did not become aware of Clinton's use of a private email account and server until she was serving as Clinton's personal attorney. I read you her testimony. I read you what she told the FBI. The two are at odds. Is there going to be an investigation as to why she changed her story? Attorney General Barr, call your office. This took place, by the way, this deposition. There were Justice Department attorneys there. Do they report back to their people when issues like this arise? Now, it's interesting. After she left the State Department, Samuelson didn't go straight to the private practice. Guess where she went? Oh, wait, the Obama White House, the White House Counsel's Office. And then she became Clinton's personal lawyer around 2014. And she also talks about Doug Band. Who's Doug Band? Doug Band is a Clinton Foundation official who immediately began communicating and using the Clinton State Department to provide favors and benefits and jobs to Clinton Foundation donors and friends, contrary to what Hillary Clinton promised would happen, that there'd be a bright line between her office and the Clinton Foundation. It was a big lie. It was pay to play almost immediately upon her taking office. And Band was sending personnel people, uh, people to work over there to the State Department, including one aide who was hired, Brock Johnson, who was involved in the cover-up of the Clinton email scandal. So a really incestuous crew over there. This Clinton Foundation recommended official gets embroiled in the Clinton email cover-up, all uncovered by Judicial Watch. So this is pretty astonishing stuff. It's uh, really criti it's critically important that you recognize the abuse of authority and abuse of power by the Justice Department in this case, where they are giving immunity to someone who did something like what Heather Samuelson did, deleting tens of thousands of government records for Hillary Clinton. And by the way, there's an after-action report on that document destruction. We weren't able to get answers from her because they asserted a privilege. So uh, we've taken all the witness testimony I think we've allowed to be taken, we are, we are allowed to have been taken by um, the judge thus far. We may seek additional testimony, but some, and, and more material will be coming out as we go through this witness testimony, we'll be releasing it to you. You can read the entire transcript of Hillary Clinton's lawyer's testimony. I, I just want to remind you what's going on here. It's Judicial Watch that is taking the testimony of these Clinton email scandal witnesses, not Congress, not the current Justice Department. It's now almost two and a half years, and the Justice Department has been virtually frozen on the Clinton email scandal. I don't know about you, but I'm getting a little impatient. Actually, it's worse than frozen. They've opposed efforts by Judicial Watch to uncover the truth. I talked about this discovery. They opposed discovery, both the State Department and the Justice Department. The FBI 
as I discussed last week, I discussed it on Sean Hannity's program again today, or excuse me, just last night. The FBI is refusing to turn over text messages from the FBI's top number two person, or then number two, Andrew McCabe, about Hillary Clinton. The FBI doesn't believe text messages should be subject to the Freedom of Information Act. How convenient, because it protects people or protects information related to Hillary Clinton in these text messages by Andrew McCabe and text messages by Peter Strzok and Lisa Page and James Comey and the rest of the corrupt gang that was running the FBI under Comey and Obama. That's not James Comey's FBI, that's Christopher Wray's FBI. I have to say, Christopher Wray has been really hardworking in trying to protect the reputation of the FBI, protect the institution of the FBI, as opposed to reform it, as opposed to uncovering the corruption and accountability. It's all about protecting the FBI, including by making these incredible assertions of secrecy to protect their cover-up of the Clinton email scandal. So all of this is coming out because of Judicial Watch's independent heavy lifting. And of course, a federal court wants the answers too. Not Congress. The media thinks we should move on. I don't know about you, but Hillary Clinton still, I believe, needs to be held accountable for her email misconduct. And so much of what we have going on today with the targeting of Trump has been about protecting Hillary Clinton. It obviously happened during Spygate in 2016, where you had Hillary Clinton being protected, while at the same time the Justice Department and the FBI were working with her campaign's operatives to spy on President Trump and spread the false Russia smear against him. And that led to the illegal spying. It led to the special counsel operation. It led to the freezing of the Justice Department, which conveniently stopped them, assuming there was any intention of doing anything otherwise, of reopening the Clinton email investigation. There's more than enough information to reopen Hillary Clinton's email investigation. The Justice Department needs to act they need to stop obstructing Judicial Watch, and they need to take independent action of a criminal investigative nature against the Clinton crowd on this. And we now know further, because of our investigations, as to why that's going to be difficult to do, because it would implicate the Barack Obama White House, because we found in this discovery that the Barack Obama White House was involved in the State Department's lies about whether or not there were Hillary Clinton emails available to the public for review under FOIA. Judicial Watch uncovered that in disclosure. And we also uncovered the fact that, when, remember what I said about the FBI having to go out and find Clinton emails that she tried to delete or otherwise destroy? They need to figure out where all the emails were. They went to the Obama White House the executive office of the president and found Clinton emails. Again, information produced to us in discovery through sworn written responses 
to our questions by the FBI official dominantly in charge of the Clinton email investigation, Bill Priestap, who also happened to be in charge of, guess what, nominally, the Russiagate investigation. So more is coming, but this is pretty big news. Don't you agree that Hillary Clinton's lawyer was given immunity? I'm convinced Hillary was given immunity. I know there are no documents to say that, but practically speaking, I'm convinced she was given immunity too during her, for her interview. That really, really wasn't an interview because they already concluded they weren't going to do anything. So uh, it's going to be up to the court to figure out what to do next. Obviously, we're going to contemplate, I said, more potentially more testimony, but Judicial Watch has got it covered. And we're happy to do the work, and we do it because we recognize that government agencies have been failing you, the American people, in the job they're supposed to do in terms of fairly administering the justice. Where people like Hillary Clinton, who knowingly violated the laws against the handling of classified information, took documents that didn't belong to her, may have destroyed evidence. People around her and, and uh, certainly lied. And nothing has been done, at least by the Justice Department, other than cover it up for her. And thankfully, uh, Judicial Watch hasn't given up. We, we uncovered the Clinton email scandal. We're in discovery. It isn't over. So as we see the ramifications of Hillary Clinton's misconduct through the Russiagate smear, President Trump, it's continuing. Hillary Clinton might as well be at, in the, um, as, you know, to me, ought to be a witness when Robert Mueller testifies, he's testifying July 17th, continuing the harassment of President Trump. No one's asked Hillary Clinton about the dossier under oath. But Judicial Watch is doing the work. So we're able to do it because of your support, and I thank you for it. We're getting results. So I say the heavy lifting is getting big results, including this astonishing testimony, confirmation that the lawyer who destroyed the Clinton emails received immunity from the corrupted Justice Department. You know, speaking of miscarriages of justice, I was hopeful that the Supreme Court was going to rule in favor of the Trump administration's uh, desire to put a question about citizenship status in the census. A question has been asked since the beginning of our country in census after census after census. I think since at least 1820. But President Trump tries to put it in the census and the left goes crazy. Why? Because they're extremely sensitive to any question that highlights the large number of aliens here in the United States, legal or otherwise. 
because they don't like the political ramifications of the answers and they do not want anything that further draws a bright line between citizenship and non-citizenship in this country because the left is all geared to erasing the distinction between citizens and non-citizens. It's part of the open borders agenda. So when President Trump tried to do this on the census, the left got into court and they found friendly courts to harass the administration. And the Supreme Court this week, despite seeming oral arguments suggesting that they would rule in President Trump's failure, the Supreme Court, Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, ruled with the liberals to, at least for now, keep the question out of the census. An unbelievable abuse of power, substitute, the court substituting its political will for improperly for the people who are supposed to be exercising the political will of the people, the president and the administration. The president, of course, elected, the Commerce Secretary charged with deciding whether to put the census question in, charged by federal law with doing so, by the way, appointed by the president, confirmed by the people's representatives in the Senate. But the Supreme Court pretends to know better. Why? Because, in my view, they don't like President Trump. And Chief Justice Roberts, in my view, was political in this case. And it is unfortunate the Supreme Court has endorsed this continued judicial harassment because that, this decision is under judicial review is an abuse of power by the judiciary. I said it before, and I'll say it again. The, the, one of the crises we face as a republic is the idea that the left has taken, and certain Republicans who don't like Trump, is that President Trump's not allowed to exercise his authority as president. He's not allowed to be the president. He can't talk to the Russians. He uh, can't fire FBI directors. He can't supervise the Justice Department. He can't control the border. All the sorts of powers that a president is able to exercise under the Constitution, this president's not allowed to exercise because some people don't like his politics. And therefore, the Constitution that allows the people to elect the president should be overridden because he shouldn't be able to exercise the powers the American people have granted him through, in virtue of electing him to office, including now the ability to decide which questions are in the census. Again, the idea of citizenship being in the census goes back to the founding of the country. But the Supreme Court, the liberals in the Supreme Court have glommed on and agreed with lower court anti-Trump judicial actions to try to subvert this. Now specifically what happened is when uh, uh, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross made the decision to include this question, there's paperwork associated with it and there's a, describing mem there's a memorandum describing in part the basis for his decision. He talks about the Voter Rights Act. They need the information to help better enforce the Voter Rights Act. The left now has taken the position as you can't believe what they say their reasons are. And we get to do discovery and go into court and challenge this. Something that you would never be allowed to do in another administration. And the Census Department and, and Ross and the Commerce Department was 
harried and harassed through discovery granted to the left-wing plaintiffs challenging this in the lower courts. And the Supreme Court endorsed further judicial harassment because they've taken the position is, well, you know, we know you're allowed to ask about citizenship. We know that the record administratively is legal, but we are suspicious there may be other things. So we're going to let the judiciary get in the way of our census based on their suspicion, based on nothing other than animus against President Trump, that there might be other reasons that may not be legally justifiable for asking this question. That's politics disguised as judicial decision-making, courtesy of Chief Justice Roberts and the four liberals on the Supreme Court. Now, in theory, it ought to move quickly. Because the left would have you believe you weren't allowed to ask about citizenship. Thankfully, that was torn, uh, tossed aside, at least by the court here. But I want to read to you a little bit from the dissents by Justice Thomas, a great American hero for the Constitution, and Justice Alito, another great American hero for the Constitution. Now, it doesn't mean I always agree with every decision they make, but they're certainly right here. So this is the decision by the Supreme Court. It is 92 pages or so, and it's got the majority decision, and then concurrences and dissents and such. And I'm going to read you partial, a part of the dissent from Justice Thomas and Justice Alito. Because, you know, I think, and I, and I thought about this. I read this, and I was outraged. And the media doesn't really tell you why this decision's made, it doesn't explain it to you, because they're frankly covering up for the, their friends in the anti-Trump court world. But I'm going to take the time, and we've got the time here, to educate you and other Americans about what the Supreme Court did. Because you know, when the Supreme Court acts outside its authority and substitute its, substitutes its political will, they're stealing our liberty. They're stealing our right to govern ourselves, and I want to expose it. Justice Thomas. For the first time ever, the court invalidates an agency action solely because it questions the sincerity of the agency's otherwise adequate rationale. First time ever. Echoing the din of suspicion and distrust that seems to typify modern discourse, that's Justice Thomas's nice way of saying anti-Trump fanaticism. The court declares the secretary's memorandum, the memorandum I described earlier, pretextual, quote, unquote, because, quote, viewing the evidence as a whole, unquote, his explanation that included a citizenship question on the census would help enforce the Voting Rights Act seems to have been contrived. The court does not hold that the secretary merely had additional unstated reasons for reinstating the citizenship question. Rather, it holds the secretary's stated rationale did not factor at all into that decision. Well, obviously, that's not right. Justice Roberts and the other liberals on the court, in allowing the census to be derailed, at least for a time, 
have suggested that you might have other reasons and they all need to be stated somehow. That's not the way the law works. The court's holding reflects an unprecedented departure from our deferential review of discretionary agency decisions. And if taken seriously as a rule of decision, this holding would transform administrative law. It is not difficult for political opponents of executive actions to generate controversy with accusations of pretext, deceit, and illicit motives. Significant policy decisions are regularly criticized as products of partisan influence, interest group pressure, corruption, and animus. Crediting these accusations as evidence, as thin as the evidence here, would lead judicial review of administrative proceedings to devolve into an endless morass of discovery and policy disputes. Think about that. Think of all the decisions that we didn't like about President Obama. And Judicial Watch would have had a really easy time in the court if we could go in and say, you know, I know President Obama has given, and his appointees have given all of these various seemingly legal reasons for doing X, Y, and Z, but we don't believe it because he's a socialist and he's lying. We would have been laughed at a court. But not if you challenge President Trump. They've changed the rules. And Justice Thomas says, in short, today's decision is a departure from traditional principles of administrative law. Hopefully, it comes to be understood as an aberration, a ticket good for this day and this train only. Well, I think it will be only good for this administration only because once a left-wing administration comes into power, any liberals on the Supreme Court will all of a sudden come back to the deference that is typically given to decision-making of this nature by the executive branch. Now, that does not mean that courts should be deferential to all decisions by the executive branch. I believe in judicial review. I do not believe in judicial supremacism, which is what this decision ultimately is in terms of messing with our census. Justice Alito, if this case is taken as a model, then any one of the approximately 1,000 district court judges in this country upon receiving information that a controversial agency decision might have been motivated by some unstated consideration may order the questioning of cabinet officers and other high-ranking executive branch officials. And the judge may then pass judgment on whether the decision was pretextual. What Bismarck is reputed to have said about laws and sausages comes to mind, and that goes, by, goes for decision-making by all three branches. To put the point bluntly, the federal judiciary has no authority to stick its nose into the question of whether it is good policy to include a citizenship question on the census or whether the reasons given by Secretary Ross for that decision were his only reasons or his real reasons. Of course, we may determine that the decision is constitution. We may determine whether the decision is constitutional, but under the consideration that typically guides this court and the exercise of its power of judicial review of agency action, we have no authority to decide whether the Secretary's decision was rendered in compliance with the Administrative Procedures Act. Administrative Procedures Act typically is the law that agencies must follow in describing uh, in, 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 the, uh, in, in, implement, in 
in creating new regulations. So if there's a change of policy, there's, a, there's the Administrative Procedures Act. Oftentimes it provides, uh, you have to notice and comment, all sorts of things you have to do, all sorts of hoops you have to go through as an agency. And if you don't go through the hoops, you can be sued. In this case, the Supreme Court acknowledges the Commerce Secretary went through all the hoops, but they think there might be something else there. Completely lawless approach. So let's hope the Supreme Court does not get in the way of the census in 2020. I have encouraged, and Judicial Watch has encouraged the administration to use all the powers available to it, even under this terrible decision, to get this, to get this question into the 2020 decision, uh, census. Because the goal of the left is to not ask a citizenship question in 2020. And what does that mean? We won't know until 2030 in the least how many uh, aliens are present here in the United States in a thorough way. And it's all part of the border crisis. It's all tied to this. You have the left, uh, all the candidates seeking the Democratic nomination this week. And I don't say this, I say this in a nonpartisan fashion. Uh, the Democratic Party evidently does not want um, a severe or strict border control. They want to give benefits to aliens here in the United States unlawfully. So it, it, it tells you, and of course the Democratic Party is leftist in orientation. You got a lot of Republicans who, who kind of share this attitude too. Believe me, amnesty is a bipartisan fever. But they do not want this census question because they don't want you to know the truth. They don't want you to know how many Americans are in the United States, and they certainly don't want you to know how many non-Americans are here in the United States. And I hope this, the president moves quickly and creatively to get this question in the census, despite this Supreme Court power grab. So, um, so that was bad news, but you know, we. Th th we just have to keep on fighting for our liberty. You know, we're facing, um, we're not facing, we're celebrating Independence Day next week. You know, the Founding Fathers, you know, fought and died to give us this system. And it's always going to be under attack from without and from within. And so we just have to remain vigilant. And I'd like to think that Judicial Watch is, is uh, certainly consistent with the Founding Fathers' vi uh, vision that the citizenry remain vigilant about government. The, uh, there's another lawsuit we filed I want to tell you about, speaking of remaining vigilant, is uh, Andrew McCabe. Andrew McCabe is the disgrace number two at the FBI who was fired. Uh, he was excoriated by the Inspector General for lying, and uh, he was involved in the coup cabal against President Trump. You may remember the effort to wear a wire, discussions to wear a wire, uh, and invoke the 25th Amendment involved uh, uh, Andrew McCabe. Uh, he was involved in the Clinton email investigation, even though his wife had received money from a Clinton friend, Terry McAuliffe, then governor of Virginia. Uh, we exposed that he actually 
recused himself just a little bit before the election, after, of course, the investigation was virtually over, he admitted that he had to recuse himself. Isn't that interesting? And then the IG thinks uh, that McCabe was involved in lying to uh, his investigators and others about uh, a leak he engaged in related to the Clinton investigations. I don't know if he's guilty of that. He says he's not. The key witness against him is Comey, so I don't know who's telling the truth. I don't trust either of them. But uh, he was also involved, obviously, in the spying on President Trump. He's an anti-Trumper. And uh, he got to write a book deal. And uh, he was given the ability, the blessing to write the book by the FBI. And typically, when you're in a senior position like that, or really any position where you've got access to classified or sensitive government data, you have to submit your book for pre-publication pre review. And it's just remarkable how easy it seems that people like James Comey and Andrew McCabe get these books agreed, uh, uh, um, these books approved for publication by the FBI, even though it often make, they often uh, contain sensitive information. So we want to know if the FBI rubber stamped McCabe's book, obviously, was a, which was an anti-Trump screed. Just simple, basic oversight over the way the FBI treats, because we know, because we've helped people who've been on the wrong end of this pre-publication review process, where they've been tortured by organizations like the FBI, actually specifically the FBI. You may recall Tony Schaefer, whose book actually went through a pre-publication review process but then I think it was the Obama administration that decided, well, they, we didn't like what he had put in there. Now, Tony was blowing the whistle on foreknowledge of, of the 9-11 attack by the government. They basically had the information they needed to have in order to stop the attack from happening. And he blew the whistle on that. So he went through the process. His book was reviewed. It was a review for publication. And they decided after the fact that it shouldn't be published. You know what they did? They bought all the copies of his book and shredded them. They had their own little Fahrenheit, was it 459? 451? There you go, Fahrenheit 451. Over at the Pentagon, a shredding party of a book. But people like Andrew McCabe and James Comey, we believe, get special treatment. So that's why we sued for that. We also sued for something else that goes back a long way for those of you who follow the Clintons. You may remember the scandals or the conspiracies associated with the MENA, Arkansas airport. Well, there was a CIA uh, report done on that because the allegations were that there was armed smuggling to Nicaragua, the CIA were running drugs out of there, um, and all sorts of terrible stories about MENA. And uh, there's a, um, uh, there was a movie done by, who's the actor? Tom Cruise, recently about it, um, where he played Barry Seal, who was a pilot and a drug smuggler for the Medellin Cartel, who allegedly uh, was also an undercover agent and informant for the uh, DEA, and he had something to do with Mina as well. Well, there was a uh, 96 Office of Inspector General report out of the CIA that absolved the CIA of being involved in any of that. 
And I don't know whether any of it's true or not. I mean, some of it's interesting, but it, I don't know if it's true or not. And since it involves the Clintons, there are a lot of people interested in it. So we thought it would be useful to get the full report. And of course, typically, the government refused to give it to us, even though we're now 20 years past when the report was first issued. Is it 20 years? Yeah, it's over 20 years. So um, we sued for the report. And I think we may get more of it than has previously been released as a result of this litigation. So this, uh, this MENA conspiracy theory, this MENA airport controversy, we know there's more government information on it. And part of what we do is we go back and look at these past controversies, which are still in the public domain, and see if we can educate more people about what really went on as a result of government documents being further released. Hence our new lawsuit on the media controversy. So um, only Judicial Watch is smart enough with a sense of history and with the ability legally and investigatively to figure out how to get this type of information out of the government. We've done it with the JFK assassination. We've done it with uh, all sorts of scandals going back decades. We're constantly getting new information about government activity that obviously is of historic value, but also informs our per current public discussions as well. So we're happy to be able to do it. So a lot going on this week. I want you all to have a safe and wonderful uh, Independence Day. I don't know if I'm going to do an update next week or not, but uh, we'll see. But uh, if I don't see you next week, I'll see you the week after. Uh, but have a wonderful Independence Day, and uh, I hope to see you soon again here with us here on Judicial Watch's weekly update. Thank you. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.